I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in August of 2021. Today, we're going to be talking about how the meat industry is starting to greenwash their image to claim they're climate friendly in their attempts to bypass legitimate environmental critiques of animal agribusiness and greenhouse gas emissions and scientific recommendations that the world needs to move away from a meat-based diet. This is part of an investigative expose by journalist Caroline Christen, first published on the DSmog blog at dsmog.com. dsmog.com was founded in 2006 to clear the PR pollution that is clouding the science and solutions to climate change. They've become one of the world's top sources for accurate fact-based information regarding global warming misinformation campaigns. Our guest today is Caroline Christen, who is a journalist and staff writer at Sentient Media, focused on the intersection of animal advocacy, climate change, and plant-based innovations. She has a bachelor's degree in media studies from Bayreuth University and is currently completing a master's degree in digital journalism at Hamburg Media School, which is in Hamburg, Germany, and that's where she's joining us from. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Well, this is an especially good time to discuss the climate crisis because the International Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, uh, they just came out with a scientific report further confirming human activities are accelerating global temperature rises and extreme weather events. Just briefly, what is your impression of that report and its findings? Yes, I actually, I see this most recent IPCC report as both an urgent warning, but also a call to action. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the report clearly shows that the climate crisis is human caused and that the consequences are affecting all regions of the world. So everybody. But it also shows that while some of the consequences of this crisis are now irreversible, we still have time to avoid even more devastating outcomes if we take immediate action. Right. I like that. Yeah, that it's it's a call to action. And um, I like to do that on this show. <laughs> I always think about that. Um, and so, right. So it's a timely topic, um, your article on meat industry greenwashing of their kind of climate image. So um, I, I understand that DSmog blog was, you know, contacted you about writing this article and it was pretty in-depth investigation. It wasn't just like, oh, you spent two days and, and you wrote something. And the, the, the title, just everyone, by the way, the title of um, her, her article is called How the Meat Industry is Climate Washing Its Polluting Business Model. Uh, so can you just tell us a little bit about how you investigated this once you were kind of alerted that they were kind of climate washing? Yes. So... First of all, um, I would like to share a bit more about the project because yeah. the, the article is only one component of the project. I see. Um, the, we first started by selecting 10 meat players who are based worldwide and, and then, then investigating them in a very in-depth way. Um, and after doing that, we wrote 10 profiles of all of these companies and organizations. Um, and when this was done, that, that was when we when the article was produced because um, the whole purpose of the investigation was to get an overview of the narratives and strategies this industry uses um, to downplay its climate impact. Um, and when we had this overview, I also spoke to experts um, concerning their claims. And in addition to the trend for profiles, the article, there is also a fact sheet 
where we um, have included expert criticism of what the industry says. Right. And so that's um, on the dsmog.com, I think it's called, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, if you click on the, uh, there's a, there's a, a part on the website that says databases yeah. and there's a database that includes profiles of agri- agribusinesses. So um, not just meat industry uh, business, but also pesticides, uh, for example. Mm. And the organizations we looked at, um, there were four companies. So actual producers, those were JBS, Tyson, and also two European producers called Danish Crown, which is the largest pork producer in the world. And um Vion, which is also a very large producer here in Europe. And the meat organizations, the the umbrella organizations or representative organizations, they ranged from US organizations to a British organization and also a few uh, European ones. And are those like some kind of American meat institutes or something? They're like professional kind of organizations that represent the actual corporations? Yeah, so okay. the two U.S. ones are the Animal Agriculture Alliance and ah. the North American Meat Institute. Meat Institute, okay, All right. And regarding your investigations findings, can you provide us with an overview of what the meat industry PR machine is saying that is disingenuous or could be considered misinforming the public about the role of animal meat in the climate crisis? Yeah, sure. So... What we found during the investigation was that there are four main narratives that the industry uses. Um, The first of these narratives claims that animal agriculture isn't a serious driver of climate change. So the industry does acknowledge that meat has a climate impact, um, but it uses a range of sub-narratives to downplay this impact. Mm -hmm. Um, A particular, uh, a particularly popular narrative, for example, is that they say, yes, meat has a climate impact, but for example, Grazing improves biodiversity. The second narrative um, the industry uses um, portrays dietary change towards more plant-based diets as an ineffective climate mitigation strategy. Um, So it basically says that going plant-based won't significantly lower emissions. The third narrative, also a popular one, portrays meat as essential to feed the the growing global population. And the fourth and last narrative suggests that innovations and new technologies implemented by the industry will significantly reduce the sector's footprint or already have done so. And I would like to add that in addition to these narratives, we also discovered a strategy that is used by meat companies specifically. And this strategy evolves around their self-reported emissions. So Mm -hmm. the emissions they make publicly available in their sustainability reports. We noticed that all four companies, Tyson, JBS, Danish Crown and Vion, reported emissions that were much lower compared to the results um, that independent researchers um, well came to when they when they um, estimated the these companies emission so if, effectively they are under reporting their emissions and and that's one of the tactics that you write about in your article like the meat from the meat industry disinformation playbook <laughs> was underreporting greenhouse gas emissions. And one way they're doing that maybe is it's from what I could understand is they're not mentioning the land-based aspect. Does that mean like they're not including the fact that so much of um, the food that's grown or land that's cleared is or deforested is for animal feed? Is that one way they just ignore their emissions 
Mm -hmm. That's one aspect. So I would summarize this, that um, the self-reported emissions often focus on scope one and two emissions and not on scope three. And scope one and two emissions, they come from di direct activities of a company okay. or activities that are partly under its control. Scope three, however, um, are emissions um, that result from a company's activities they don't control. And in the case of meat companies, um, these em emissions result from land use, as you just said, also land use change, and from the farms that supply the companies with the animals they slaughter. And by not including these emissions, they don't report the emissions caused by farms, by grazing, by crop cultivation to produce animal feed, and also by de deforestation to clear land for grazing or for growing crops to feed animals. So yeah, excluding these emissions is significant because they account for the majority of the industry's climate impact. And that just kind of from a media literacy standpoint reminds us as um, consumers that we, when we're looking for information, we shouldn't look to an industry to report on, on um, their, you know, green. Uh, I mean, we can listen to what they say at first, but it's much better to have independent organizations telling us about their environmental impact instead of just what the industry chooses to say, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other, another tactic that you mentioned was claiming the meat industry claims that meat is a necessary food item to feed the growing human population. So I guess they're kind of saying like, oh, well, you know, we've got a lot of mouths to feed. So people are just, we're going to have to keep doing this, like it or not, or I'm, you know, I'm not sure how they're, they're framing it. Yeah, it's, it's a very popular narrative. Um, nine out of the 10 organizations we surveyed, they claimed that meat is needed to feed the growing global, global population. Um, and they are quite blunt about it. One of the companies, Danish Crown, says on its sustainability page that the proven climate impact of meat, and now I'm quoting them, does not meet, mean that Danish Crown will be producing less meat because um, in 2050, and this is a quote again, According to the end, there will be approximately 10 billion mouths to feed. Another organization based in the UK, uh, it's called the Anim uh, Agriculture and Horticultural Development Board, or AHDB for short. They say, quote, that any cap on the sector's produ production would be a misguided and meaningless tactic for tackling climate change. And they go on to explain that, quote again, our farmers need support to further improve productivity and reduce the carbon footprint while continuing to produce vital nourishing food for a global population. As this course shows, there's another popular sub-narrative, the claim that meat is an exceptional source of nutrients. Mm. Um, we found that eight out of 10 organizations made some statements to that effect. Right, and it makes sense that they wanna say that they're a necessary food item so that even if they do, since we know they, they're harmful in many ways, they can say, well, this is the way we're needed. But I mean, for a lot of, you know, probably you and I have <laughs> are completely healthy without eating their products. So it's like they're, it's not necessary, but that's the narrative. And you know what I've actually found from my own studies of environmental organizations that when they talk about, you know, how they'll talk about the fact that meat um, and dairy in particular are, are, bad for the environment, but they seem to, rather than just saying like, oh, so then we shouldn't eat them. They seem to just assume everyone else, everyone's going to still want to eat them. And that's especially true with eating fish as well. 
um, which I know you didn't study, you know, mm. the fishing industry, but there's the sense like, oh, people get their protein from the ocean. So we need to keep doing that. So the, I don't know. I, and I like to challenge that narrative, like you're saying that people can't switch to a more of a plant-based protein and nutrient sources. And there just seems to be kind of an acquiescing or a, a just a, um, an idea, they don't challenge the notion that we could change what we eat. Instead, they just say, well, there's going to be more people and they want to eat this and it's, you know, necessary. And um, when really it's not necessary <laughs> to eat. I have a, a very interesting example, again, from the database. Um, we noticed that one of the producers, Vion, really changed its mes messaging between 2018 and 2020. Um, <laughs> after it started producing plant-based products. So in 2020, oh. uh, in 2018, um, the company emphasized that meat plays a role in a healthy diet. Um, and also, uh, let me check, it also says pro proteins of animal origins are more easily digested and absorbed more, effect more quickly and effectively by the body when compared to plant-based proteins. So this was in 2018. Um, in a later report in 2020, um, it stated, however, that it's creating wholesome meat alternatives that they enrich with vitamins and minerals. And they also said that 90% of the assortment of plant-based products has a premium nutritional score. So, yeah, it's, it, it was interesting to see how they changed this, their messaging after they started producing plant-based alternatives. Right. Because, I mean, when you find out that your industry is threatened with kind of annihilation because you know this is not the this is not the way we need to go as we don't have enough resources in the world and we cannot sustain everybody eating animal-based products so when you find out that about your industry you either need to just defend yourself which is kind of what they're mostly doing or you need to switch your business model to something that is sustainable so i i, I commend these organizations for when they do start saying okay we work in meat but we can do a plant-based you know version of that that's that's great um i want to also get quickly to the last of the tactics from the meat industry disinformation playbook this one's a little more complicated but just they have like technological fixes where they say they're doing some kind of innovations here and there, I guess, to just reduce or capture, reduce greenhouse emissions or capture carbon or something like that. Yeah, we found they promote a range of innovations and technologies. Um, for example, um, different packaging, new manure management technologies, uh, such as anaerobic digesters to produce energy, changing what the animals eat. And this was, again, a very popular concept using different grazing techniques to, and some of them claim that this does not only reduce emissions, but also sequesters carbons. However, all of these technologies have been criticized by experts for not addressing the lion's share of the emissions caused by the sector. Right. They're just like a slight way to reduce something that's problematic. Um, I don't know if you can explain what anaerobic digesters are, <laughs> like if you know what that means. They are also confusing. They are also called biogas digesters. Um, so essentially, they are they use manure um, generated by farms okay. and turn it into uh, energy. Oh, and they call okay. this green energy or biogas. But this has also been these terms have also been criticized by yeah. campaigners for well, misrepresenting the impact of the industry. Right. 
Well, if you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman talking about how the meat industry is climate washing its polluting business model with journalist Caroline Kristen. The publication of her article can be found at the DSmog blog as part of a larger investigative report at dsmog.com. Carolyn, how does this relate to the meat industry political lobby and influence over legal policies within nation states who are trying to mitigate their climate impact? You know, like, I mean, nations are trying to say like, okay, we need to reduce our greenhouse gases. And so we need legal policies to do that. But then we've got these, you know, meat industry lobbies around the world potentially threatening, you know, these kinds of policy changes. Um. So you, 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 what you're saying is how this the activity of the companies, the lobbying or the PR is influencing government? Yeah, like are they targeting, are they just trying to convince, you know, us as consumers it's okay to buy? Or are they? do you think they're also trying to convince policymakers not to worry about their industry? We found both. So we've seen... Um, very good example, I think, is a campaign launched by a British organization, the AHDB, this year, I think, in January. Um, it's it's called we. It was a campaign called Rebalance, and they essentially launched it because Veganuary is taking place during, during January, so it's That's a counter like that campaign. Veg January, where they want everyone to go uh, vegan in January. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and. Um, they, they openly said they are launching this campaign to make people who are considering to reduce their meat consumption reconsider. So there, is, there are definitely um, campaigns directed at the public, but we also found lobbying activities directed at uh, policymakers, governments. Hmm. Yeah, so I would say they're actually, yeah, working yeah, on both. That's really scary to me, too, because we need meat production to go down globally, and we do need governments to help facilitate these kinds of changes because um, it's a massive effort. But they hear the meat industry seems like they're wanting to scale up. Okay, because mm-hmm. we have a growing human population, so I guess that's their excuse, but we need, <laughs> we need the per capita meat consumption to go down, and then they're kind of saying it should go up, and we just... Like the world cannot sustain that. Yeah, absolutely. We included one study in the investigation that um, estimates that even if fossil fuel emissions stopped right now, um, the current consumption trends, including meat consumption, they could threaten the, uh, the achievement of the 1.5 degree target and could even threaten the achievement of the two, point, uh, uh, two degree Celsius target. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's essential to not like it's essential for this industry not to keep expanding um and uh for these consumption trends not to continue that's right well caroline and we're starting to wrap up here for listeners who are interested what are some credible sources of news and information on environmental solutions that people could read and promote on social media to help counter um, or dismiss some of the climate disinformation campaigns First of all, I, I would like to give another shout out to DSMOC, where the investigation is published, um, because DSMOC has investigated a lot of industries um, and 
there are extensive databases available with company profiles. So anyone interested in taking a look at a specific company, I recommend taking a look at these databases. And that's desmog, D-E-S-M-O-G.com. Yes, exactly. And another resource I would like to recommend is Sentient Media, sentientmedia.org, which is a nonprofit journalism organization that's specifically working to create transparency around the role of animals in the world and also the climate impact of animal agriculture. And there's a third resource I would like to uh, recommend, which is an academic one. It's a project by the, uh, by the Oxford University called Our World in Data. And they have some excellent information about the climate impact of different foods, including um, foods per calorie or even protein, and also other environmental factors um, linked to uh, meat production. And I found this database very helpful to learn more about this topic. And what's it called again? Our world in data? Mm-hmm. Yes, our world in oh, data. Okay. And how has this affected, just as a last question, how has this affected your own eating habits or the way you think about food, all the research that you do as a journalist? Well, it has not really changed anything for me. Mm, I was eating plant-based before the investigation. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think it helps, I guess it helps solidify your choice or reinforce the choices you've made to eat plant-based. Yes, and I think I learned a lot about um, well, the most polluting foods. So I wasn't aware that beef really is uh, yeah, that the, the impact of beef is so great. I wasn't like I think I, I learned uh, uh, my understanding now is much more nuanced than it was before. Right. I, a lot of us go uh, vegan or vegetarian because we don't want to kill animals and we don't want them farmed and harmed. Um, so, but then like the more you learn about some of the health benefits and then all the ecological benefits to eating plants instead of fellow animals, it really does reinforce you, which is good because it can be a challenge to eat, you know, to eat plant-based in a world that is constantly throwing animal products at you. Um, you know, and so what that, that's why I really hope that governments start to, um, help subsidize some of these plant-based foods and organic foods so that it makes it easier for all of us to make the kind of changes we know we need to make, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. You know, I'm also really appreciative, you know, of the I'm, I'm work. still thinking, sorry, oh, go, ahead, yeah. go ahead. I'm still thinking about your last question. Um, I was ethically motivated too at first. Um, but I think right now, I think that even like, looking at the climate impact for me, I th- this is also ethical. Um, yes. It would be looking at all the action that is taken to mitigate the climate crisis and then considering that one industry could prevent the achievement of this target. Um, I think it's ethical to question your consumption. Absolutely. And I, I feel like there's, you know, we know that there's been so much attention on the fossil fuel industry and, and attention to what, like what vehicles were driving and things like that related to the climate crisis um, and flying in airplanes. Um, but definitely what we eat is just as important, but it gets so much less media attention. That's why articles like yours um, are so important to show that it's not just the cars we drive, it's the food we eat that has to change. 
you know, or else, like you say, you can make all these changes to the automobile industry, but it's not going to matter if, you know, we're still all eating animals and then there's more of us eating animals on the planet. Yes. Um, I think this industry, it cannot be exempted from climate policy action. Absolutely. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Caroline Kristen, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And, and thank you for the work that you do as a journalist at the DSmog blog and at Sentient Media, holding the powerful, accountable, and raising awareness among us citizens as to how we can help all sentient beings and be um, good ecological stewards. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Take care. You too. Bye. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com backslash In Tune to Nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers. <laughs>